Welcome to Healthy Wealthy You, where we'll continue to explore all aspects of functional medicine and good health. We'll help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. Now, here is your host, Dr. Camille Vardy. Welcome to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that affects just about everyone at one time or another, but for some folks, it can really get in the way. And we think it's just our personality, or we may even call it a fault. But the really interesting thing is that it's actually rooted in something that's happening in our brains, and it really has a basis in our neurochemistry. And that issue today is procrastination. It's been studied by psychologists for years, and only recently are we starting to look at the neurochemistry of it. And of course, as always, if we can identify what is happening from a biological standpoint, we usually have a few tricks for making it better. And we'll talk about that today. So first, we're going to look at what the psychologists have been saying and how we can tackle it through behavioral changes. And then we're going to look at the new perspectives that are coming from the neurobiology side. Procrastination is defined as the voluntary delay of an intended course of action, despite being worse off as a result of that delay. And the thing is, we usually know that we're going to be worse off, and we do it anyway. It can involve postponing either starting or completing a commitment until the last minute, until after the deadline has passed, or oftentimes postponing it even indefinitely. Procrastination has a negative impact on the results of what we're trying to do, and it leads to stress, guilt, shame, worry, and it hurts our self-esteem. And it can lead to very real consequences, like losing a job or a promotion. It can be costly financially, as we might delay doing critical things like paying bills or filing taxes, or making a will. And it can become a problem in relationships, because when these things happen in our lives, they boomerang on the people we love too. It can even cause us to delay getting needed medical care, which means a small problem can become a serious one. So why do we do this? The obvious answer is that we do the thing that is more pleasurable rather than the thing that is hard. And the harder that the hard thing is, the more we avoid it. Absolutely. But we're going to go so much deeper than that. Because for a long time, there would be all kinds of sensible, but not really helpful advice. There was goal setting and time management tips, things like that. And that can be helpful up to the point, but it doesn't really get to the root of the problem. And those tips go out the window when the issues are big and real and overwhelming, which is really what procrastination is all about. Um, those might help if the issue was simply just indulgence. I'd rather play than work. Then it would just be a matter of retraining ourselves. But again, it's so much more than that. So let's first look at what the psychologists have to say. One thing that I find interesting is that with all the many things that we give diagnoses to these days, we seem to have a new syndrome being defined all the time. And as impactful and even harmful as procrastination can be to someone's life, it's not actually given a diagnosis by, by psychologists. But they do have a lot to say on the issue. There's a terrific meta-analysis. Meta-analysis, again, is a study that's a survey of a lot of other studies. And it was done by Rosenthal and Kalbring at Stockholm University. And I found their paper super interesting because they really, really did a huge survey of a lot of different things. Now, they cite some statistics on how prevalent procrastination is. And they say 20% of adults and half of all students. But that number seems really low to me. 
Maybe the procrastinators never turned in their surveys. In any case, it's hard to really even define procrastination because most people do it at some point. And the issue is, how do we measure it? And at what point is it really a problem where it starts to negatively impact life? In studying procrastination, they say that it's more of a tendency um, in men. Um, They try to make assessments about why that is so. I don't know. To me, I just think that women tend to be busier raising kids, and kids don't let you procrastinate. They want what they want now. They also say that it's more common in young people, and I'm not sure about that either. I think as we age, we do get a little more of a sense of the harm that certain behaviors can cause. And maybe we have a little bit more balance when it comes to our own behavior. On the other hand, as we get older, we also have a lot less energy and maybe more unfinished business built up. Um, and, And things pile up. They pile up not only in real life, but psychologically in our own minds as well. Um, what is true of older people is that there is a different sense of time. You don't feel as though doing it next year is good enough. There's more of a sense of how finite and precious time is. The ideal thing is when we can have both, when we can have that appreciation of the preciousness of life and have the energy to act on it. Behaviorists have have looked at some of the personality traits that go along with procrastination. Impulsiveness and a lack of self-control are highly correlated with procrastination. And when we get to the discussion on what is happening in our brains, we'll see why. We tend to be less likely to procrastinate if we want to avoid pain in the form of disapproval, worry, anxiety, and depression. And a conscientious person, someone who's conscientious by nature, is less likely to procrastinate. They're more careful, thorough, and tenacious. Interestingly, intelligence does not correlate either positively or negatively, according to studies. Perhaps intelligence just gives us more creativity when it comes to avoidance behaviors. Studies have shown that procrastination seems to be increasing over time. It's becoming more and more of an issue as we progress in later studies. Perhaps this is because we have more and more to distract us, and also because there's more going on in the world that we want to be distracted from. Our belief systems are a strong predictor of procrastination. Perfectionists tend to delay completion of a project because it's never quite good enough or they fear what others might think that others might think it's not good enough. Low self-esteem and fear of failure can have a similar effect. Doubting our abilities can either slow us down or cause us to avoid the project completely. And these issues are compounded when we encounter obstacles along the way. Our expectations of whether we're going to succeed or fail or fail have a huge impact on procrastination. Unrealistic expectations can play a role as well. People who say yes to everything without a clear sense of the constraints of time and energy and other resources can be overwhelmed and avoid or give up. I mentioned in an earlier episode what a profoundly life-changing experience it was for me when I learned when I wanted to say yes and when I wanted to say no, and what I wanted to say yes to and what I wanted to say no to. What a powerful word no is. The nature of the task is important here as well. The more unpleasant or difficult the task, the more we're bored by it, the more likely we are to delay it. And the more anxiety and stress that it causes, even sometimes PTSD, and the more we expect a negative outcome or challenging reckoning, the more we'll avoid it. It's much easier to get your taxes done if you're expecting a refund than if you're going to owe a painful amount. 
Our intrinsic sense of motivation is important. If we feel a sense of achievement from it, if we're praised or we expect to get praise, we're more likely to get it done. If we feel that a task is fruitless or unappreciated, we're less likely to do it. This is a big factor in the job world where people may feel that their job is repetitive, doesn't have an impact, or is not recognized as valuable by the person um, who's assigned the task or the person who's the recipient of our work. And there are a lot of jobs out there like that, more and more all the time. We also see an issue with how soon the pain or the reward comes and how likely the pain or reward is. Um, if we see the pain as being far off and the gratification is now, we opt for the gratification now. Or if the reward is far off, such as studying to get a degree four years from now, we might opt to go out with friends today. Then we might consider whether something's a need or a want. We're much more concerned, for example, of the financial consequences of procrastination if those consequences make a difference to basic survival, rather than if we have plenty of money in the bank and the loss really doesn't make all that much of a difference. The behaviorists boil it down to four factors. One is the value that's placed on the activity, then the expectation of success. Three is the timing of the reward or the pain. And four is just our natural personality, our ability to delay gratification or not. So looking at these four factors, if we take them into account, we might be able to change things a little bit behaviorally. Um, for example, is there a way that we can increase the value of the activity? Can we make it more meaningful for ourselves and other people? And what would increasing the value mean for us? Is it specific to the project and to the people involved? If so, maybe brainstorming together might be helpful. Next, how, how can we adjust our expectations? Can we have more confidence in what we're doing? Perhaps ask for help or get more training? Or maybe look at the roots of our perfectionism or our low self-esteem. Of course, maybe we can do that after the deadline. That could take a while. Next, can we break up the project into smaller pieces so that there are milestones? There are times when we can experience the pleasure of achievement and that comes more frequently? Or can we face just a tiny part of a really unpleasant task that we've been avoiding with the promise to ourselves that when we just get this piece done now, we can have some fun afterwards? And lastly, can we work within ourselves to be conscious of our tendency to be impulsive or to seek immediate gratification? Perhaps some of the suggestions that'll come at the end, especially from our neurobiology discussion, might be helpful on this point. A certain amount of this will be trial and error because it's very different for each person. Um, we need to learn a deepening self-knowledge of our motivations. We need an increased ability to plan around our known pitfalls. We're constantly refining. And as we'll see soon, there are two areas of the brain that have to do with refining our behavior, putting things in context, memorizing what gives us pleasure and what gives us pain. And that's gonna be the key to the rest of our conversation. Let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll shift from the behavior side of things to what's really going on in our brains. And that's where we can really shift things. We'll be right back. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy, Wealthy You. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. 
Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Welcome back. This is Dr. Camille, and this is Healthy Wealthy You. And today we're talking about the biology of procrastination. Now, let's look at things from the biological side, what the neuroscientists have to say. And this is really where the science geek in me comes out, because I find this fascinating. And I think what they have to say is pretty straightforward and very useful. First, let's look at two areas of the brain. One is called the limbic system. This is the part of the brain that tells us when we need to stop doing something that's bad for us. It's what pulls back our hand when we touch a hot stove, for example. It also is the part of the brain that holds memory and emotion. So it helps us to refine the bad thing. That fire looks like it's hot. And I remember in another situation what it felt like to get a burn. And it holds emotion. What happened when um, I was burned and mommy wasn't around? So that can make the memory of it more intense, more unpleasurable, and even traumatic. Now, a key piece of this is that the limbic system, this part of our brain, is automatic. It's not under conscious control. And this is where procrastination gets us, is that this part of our brain is always pulling at us. Now, this part of our brain, this automatic part of our brain, also governs things like sleep, hunger, temperature control, all the things that happen without us even thinking about it. For example, our stomach will send us a signal and we feel hungry. That happens automatically. We don't activate that intentionally. And since the limbic system is automatic, it can kick in with other unpleasant activities. It pulls us away from things that it senses are unpleasant, like tasks that we're avoiding. It gets signals from dopamine, our pleasure neurotransmitter. And we're going to talk a lot about dopamine today. It, it will tell us that is a low dopamine activity. Come here, come here. This activity will give you so much more pleasure. And our mind just drifts away. Now, on the other side of the equation is our prefrontal cortex, our prefrontal cortex. This is the part of our brain that's right behind our forehead, and it's the conscious thinking part of our brains, the one that makes the decisions and organizes our thoughts. It suppresses the impulsive behavior. It provides us with context and meaning, including our sense of right and wrong and good and bad. And it has to keep coming in and overriding the limbic system, saying you should do the right thing. Should, should, should. But as soon as we get back on task, an unpleasant task, our dopamine drops. So the limbic system goes in to something called immediate mood repair and distracts us into an activity that's more pleasurable. 
In Freudian terms, it's like the id and the superego battling it out. So those are the parts of the brain involved. Now let's look at our main transmitter, dopamine. It's our pleasure transmitter. It makes us happy in a stimulated way, whereas serotonin and GABA make us happy in a calm, zen kind of way. I sometimes call dopamine the sex, drugs, and rock and roll neurotransmitter because it's all about getting those peak pleasure experiences. And it's the root of addictions and it gives us our motivation. And that's why we want to talk about it today. One of the most fundamental and earliest principles in psychology is that we seek pleasure and avoid pain. And it's dopamine that governs this. Dopamine gives us focus and concentration, the ability to stay on task with a project, and that's why it's so important here. As an aside, dopamine also has to do with movement. When our dopamine is low, we have issues with involuntary movements. We see this in restless leg syndrome and in Parkinson's. So if you're having issues with any similar movement disorder, or you have an issue of it in your family, and you also have issues with memory, focus, concentration, and procrastination, then dopamine is something we might suspect. Normally, our brains release dopamine about three to four times per second. But when we're exposed to pleasurable things, those bursts of dopamine speed up. In fact, it's this increase in dopamine release that defines something as a pleasurable thing. Nicotine, for example, increases the release of dopamine by about 50%. Drinking alcohol or anticipating eating something delicious doubles the rate. Yes, anticipation of a pleasurable event definitely increases our dopamine, and that's going to be important today too. Now, caffeine and exercise are interesting. They also double the rate, but they also they do something extra. They increase our dopamine receptors. So our brains will love caffeine and exercise even more. Um, now, sex increases the rate between four and tenfold. Video games will increase the rate as much as tenfold in some people, but interestingly, not at all in other people. Gambling has a little bit of a twist because it plays on the important role of anticipation. We have a dopamine payoff, not just when we win, but with every roll of the dice or spin of the roulette wheel. The anticipation of winning raises our dopamine. But then when we lose, our dopamine drops and we get a dopamine valley. But that drop in dopamine makes us just want to lay more money down and do it again. Now we get into the big stuff. Cocaine increases the release of dopamine tenfold. And get this, methamphetamine increases it a hundred times. That's why drugs like that are so devastating and intervention is so, so hard. How can a person pay attention to anything else when they're getting bursts of dopamine 300 to 400 times per second? Now, in the book, Dopamine Nation, Anna Lemke writes, we've transformed the world from a place of scarcity to a place of overwhelming abundance. Drugs, food, news, gambling, shopping, gaming, texting, sexting, Facebooking, Instagramming, YouTubing, tweeting. The increased numbers, variety, and potency of highly rewarding stimuli today is staggering. The smartphone is the modern-day hypodermic needle, delivering digital dopamine 24-7 for a wired generation. 
And if you haven't met your drug of choice yet, it's coming to a website near you. Is it any wonder that we have an almost infinite ability to procrastinate? So what happens when we release dopamine? We get a peak of pleasure and the results can be so addictive that the peak can go higher and higher as we have more of the thing that gives us pleasure, as we have it repeatedly, or as we combine multiple things, such as sex and drugs together. But because neurotransmitters are chemicals and they need precursors, nutritional building blocks to make them, we fire a neurotransmitter faster than we can produce more or then we can replenish what's stored, then we have a dip. And the higher the peak, the deeper the valley. Now, remember when we said that the limbic system holds memory and emotion? When we start to dip, the limbic system goes into overdrive to try to solve the dip. It goes into memory and looks for ways to get more pleasure. Ooh, remember that chocolate cake at the bakery? Ooh, wouldn't it be nice to have some now? Or what's the strategy for getting my parents to let me play video games a little longer? Or worst of all, who can I scam to get drug money? The drive to get out of that dopamine dip becomes overwhelming and it becomes hard for our prefrontal cortex to think of anything else. Now, there's also an interesting correlation between cortisol, our stress hormone, and dopamine. Stress and dopamine can get into a feedback loop. Dopamine deficiency can trigger a release of cortisol, and we feel stress. That is the part of stress that causes us to seek out activities to resolve the dopamine deficiency. But high cortisol levels, when they cause a dopamine high, eventually create the dopamine valley. So we can spiral to even higher cortisol levels and even lower dopamine levels. Now, this is a classic pattern of someone who procrastinates on a project until the last minute, gets the cortisol pumping from the stress of meeting the deadline, and then when it's over, has to have a drink or binge eat or something like that. Now, most of us have experienced the positive and negative side of cortisol here. A little bit of stress gets our heart pumping and gets, our, gets us focused for a while. But if the stress gets too big or it's too sustained, then we get overwhelmed, we shut down, and we avoid. So our brains really want to find that middle ground. Keeping these peaks and valleys to a minimum is going to be a big part of solving this. Let's take a break here. And when we come back, we'll explore how the brain solves this problem and what we can do to help it and how this can help us break the cycle of procrastination. This is Dr. Camille, and this is Healthy, Wealthy You. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio.
welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. We're talking today about the biology behind procrastination and what we can do about it. We were talking about dopamine and how we develop peaks and valleys. One of the key issues is to help our brains find balance and to have, and to do that, we wanna find a solid baseline. Think of it as your dopamine bank account. If we have plenty of the nutrition that goes into making dopamine and we have a good amount in storage, our savings account, if you will, and if we can release it at a fairly even rate, then we can minimize the tendency to addictive behaviors and avoid the consequences of being depleted. We can be happy people. Now, of course, we all want moments of joy in our lives. We all want pleasure. It's what makes life worthwhile. The issue is when we have excessive, out-of-control dopamine-seeking, that's when we run into trouble. There's a concept in Chinese medicine that too much joy damages the spirit. And I think this is what they were talking about thousands of years ago, is this these dopamine peaks and valleys. I saw this many, many years ago with a friend that had worked at the gaming company, Atari, in the early days when video games were first being developed. He had crazy stories of the pranks and parties that would happen at work every day. They worked really intense hours, pushed themselves really hard and got their work done, but there was also a constant party atmosphere. Years later, he drifted from job to job, unhappily, a little lost, longing, without a sense of purpose or direction. And he did introduce me to a few of his friends, other former Atari co-workers, and I noticed the same things in them too. They might be successful in their jobs in the moment, but working there had been such a peak experience that it was was a little hard to function in a, a regular job. Too much joy had damaged their spirits. So we do want joy in our lives, no doubt, no doubt. Um, it's when we become absorbed in a video game and real life isn't interesting, or we get so involved in porn that sex with our spouse loses meaning. Those are those deep dopamine, dopamine valleys that we want to avoid. So how can we have a more solid baseline so that we aren't as driven to seek out the unhealthy peaks? Because that's the key to avoiding addictions and minimizing procrastination. So there are some nutritional things to consider. There are important amino acids, proteins that are important for dopamine production, phenylalanine and tyrosine. Now they're both found in most protein sources, most forms of animal protein, eggs, beans, nuts, dairy, pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds, avocados, you can get a complete list online. Now, tyrosine helps our ability to multitask. It helps our focus and our working memory. That's what I what we hold in our minds right now to accomplish the task at hand. Next, we want to make sure that we can convert dopamine. For this, we need iron. Now, please remember that we don't want to take too much supplemental iron as excessive amounts can compete with other nutrients such as vitamin C. But in women, particularly women in their late 30s and 40s, or women who have particularly heavy monthly cycles, iron can be an issue. So if you're having issues with dopamine, whether you're a man or a woman, it's worthwhile to ask your doctor to check on your iron levels. And it's good to do a full iron panel, iron, ferritin, and TIBC, which reflects our body's ability to use iron. Now, a useful supplement is a mucuna purines. I'll have that on my website. 
This is derived from a bean that grows in the Amazon. Mucuna increases alertness, mood, and sex drive. It has been said to increase the dopamine peak, not the baseline. So use this a little more cautiously. Remember that if you take the peak too high, you'll make the low lower. So be smart about it. But it can be a helpful supplement when needed. We can also work to stabilize our cortisol levels. Again, you know, my favorite cortisol calmative is cortisol manager. And my favorite adrenal support is the adaptogen combo HPA adapt, both on my website. And while you're on the site, if you'd like to check yourself for dopamine or monitor your progress, there's a terrific neurotransmitter test available. You can order it yourself and do the sample at home, and then you can see where you really stand. Now, let me say a really important thing about supplementation for the brain, whether it's for uh, dopamine or anything else. Please focus as much on foods whenever you can, because this will raise your baseline. It'll keep nice, steady deposits going into your dopamine bank account. Use supplements only when you really need it, only when you want that mental focus, because the brain's job is to help us adapt to the environment, to help every other part of our bodies shift and change based on our circumstances. This is neuroplasticity. What happens if we stimulate our brains on a regular basis is that our brains adapt. So if you were to take a dopamine supplement, a dopamine supplement every day, our brains would just reset. We'd start to expect and need that supplement and we'd be right back where we were, where we started. We would need more and more to get the same result. And of course, we see that all the time with addiction. As far as nutritional support, remember all the things that I've said in the past that are helpful for the brain are helpful here too. Being well hydrated, having the good fats, and having adequate B vitamins will support our overall brain function. If you take the supplements, please do it sporadically. Do it only when you need it. Take it when you need that dopamine boost to focus on a task, to help your memory for an exam or to power through a project or to get you out of a procrastination slump. Now, while it's fine to take tyrosine supplement occasionally, I don't recommend supplementation with phenylalanine. Too much can have negative effects and there's even a health condition. It's not that common, but it's a health condition called PKU, in which case phenylalanine can be dangerous. Um, now, one thing to know about phenylalanine is it's found in diet sweetener, aspartame, such as in equal and NutraSweet. And it's, in, it's the sweetener in most diet sodas, including Diet Coke and Diet Pepsi. And that's why those sodas can be quite addictive. We, we think of it as free, zero calories, it's free, but it really, it can be very detrimental for your brain. And it can give your brain that dopamine peak, which is followed by a dopamine valley. And you might end up following it with more diet soda, or it might even drive you to that chocolate cake. Now, what else can we do to raise our dopamine baseline in healthy ways? Exercise will help raise dopamine levels, but we also need to get ourselves to a level where the exercise is pleasurable. Sunlight is important, especially in the morning, so um, that it can raise our cortisol level. And allowing darkness at night, turning off the screens in the evening, so that we can raise our melatonin levels and have a proper sleep is essential for replenishing all of our neurotransmitters. In January, I talked in detail about our hormones and, and our sleep and how they're impacted when our eyes sense light in the morning and darkness at night. 
So I highly recommend checking in on that episode. With all of these things, nutrition, exercise, and other factors, there can be important genetic variations. So if you're not getting the results you want, especially if you're feeling depressed, living with addiction, or procrastinating in a way that's causing serious consequences, do consider seeing a functional medicine specialist. We can run a genetic profile, a a neurotransmitter test, or we can explore nutritional deficiencies of which you might not be aware. You never know when it might just be one missing thing that could make all the difference. Medicine is like a lock and key. You just need the one key that opens the door and makes everything on the other side available to you. Now, our new perspectives from neuroscience also in turn give us some interesting behavioral strategies. Anticipation of the pleasure is an important component when it comes to dopamine. And we need to feel that our anticipation and our achievement level matches, or that maybe what we achieved or what we received was even better than what we anticipated, that it exceeded our expectations. Um, We don't want to come back disappointed. So we look at the ratio of anticipation and reward. Did it come out the way we expected? If the ratio is positive, we get a dopamine peak. If the ratio is negative, we get a disappointment valley. For example, we might be anticipating going to a new restaurant that seems exciting. Did we have a meal that met our expectations? Leveled out baseline dopamine. Did it really exceed our our expectations? Did it give us that dopamine peak? Or maybe it was really disappointing and we got a dopamine valley. The more something exceeds our expectations, the more dopamine we get. And the more disappointed we are, the deeper the valley. Now, in addition to nutrition and exercise, we can modify our dopamine with behavioral techniques. One technique is simply to take a break, to rest our brains and give ourselves a chance to catch up, to make more dopamine. And depending on the situation, it might even take a couple of days for things to rest up and get back to normal. Um, But in the short term, you know, this can be a healthy and viable strategy. We go take a break. We do some other activity for a while, something that maybe not only gives us a rest, but gives us some pleasure. And we get the mild dopamine boost that we need. Maybe we just go to sleep and start fresh the next day. For me, I like to do word puzzles for five or 10 minutes. I get a sense of accomplishment, it gives me a little dopamine, and it gives me time to mull over whatever my next step is in my project. Maybe sometimes we might go play music, whatever it is that gives you pleasure, just taking that little bit of break as long as it's finite and we can return back to our activity. The limbic system has spent a long time memorizing what gives us pleasure, so we usually know what we like to do. But the issue with procrastination is that we can get too distracted, too involved with these other activities, and we don't get back on task. If you settled in with binge watching and a pint of ice cream, there's probably no coming back today. Dr. Andrew Huberman of Stanford University a brilliant neuroscientist, by the way, with a great podcast series, if you really want to do a deep, deep dive on some of the science, suggests a very counterintuitive approach. He suggests that what we really need is to increase the dopamine valley, because the deeper it is, the faster we will pull ourselves out of it. What he suggests is that we have a list of several activities that are truly unpleasant, things that are readily available to us at any time. And if we find ourselves procrastinating, we go do the thing that's worse. If you can't get a project finished, 
do a smaller task that's so unpleasant that you'll be eager to get back to what you were avoiding. And you'll do it because your brain will be rebounding out of that deep, deep dopamine valley. Soon, you'll be only too eager to finish off the really unpleasant short-term task and get back to your project. I think his perspective is interesting. We're certainly more likely to come back to the project if we're doing something that's unpleasant than if we decide to go off shopping and or go have a drink with friends. I think the key is to not let the valley get so deep that we get overwhelmed and we're unable to pull ourselves up. We don't want to shut down and create a state of outright avoidance. It's a tricky balancing act, and it's one that each person may need to play with a little bit to see what works. And what works in one situation may not work for you in another, in part because of the circumstances that we discussed in the beginning. So the best thing to do is to raise that baseline so that the lows don't get so low and we have more resources to draw on when we need them. And that's where the nutrition, the exercise, the sunlight, all of that comes in. Dr. Huberman also recommends what's known as non-sleep deep rest. This is a meditation technique that puts our brains in a deeper state of rest and recovery so that we recover faster. There are lots of videos on YouTube that you can check out. He says that we can increase our dopamine about 65% in just a few minutes of practicing this technique. Increasing pleasure and decreasing pain is something that we're hardwired to do. So learn what works for you as best as you can. Think about what was I doing that turned it around? Call a friend, go for a walk. When you figure that out, make it a daily habit so you raise your dopamine baseline. We often learn at a very young age what gives us pleasure, and it can be very deeply rooted in our childhood experiences. We might have wonderful memories of doing something with a family member, or a special food that mom made, or maybe music from when we were young. These are all things that give us pleasure today and can increase our baseline in a safe and healthy way and never underestimate the power of beauty, art, music, nature, to make our spirits soar. I think another crucial piece is the value of anticipation, which is such an easy way to increase dopamine. It's healthy and available anytime. We really saw the importance of this during the pandemic. Suddenly we weren't traveling, We weren't going to parties and concerts and other things we loved. And a lot of people got depressed. One big reason was the lack of dopamine from not being able to look forward to things, not being able to anticipate things. Sometimes a big part of a vacation is planning it, imagining it, talking about it with our loved ones. And we lost that for a while. We lost hope. So a great way to keep our dopamine baseline baseline up is to plan things that we feel really excited about. Talk about them. Talk about them in our spare moments. It makes coming back to a difficult task easier. Just make sure that the anticipation lines up with the payoff. There's a big difference between anticipation and unrealistic fantasy. If we spend time fantasizing about our celebrity crush and that they're going to show up on our doorstep and sweep us off our feet, then we're in for disappointment and a big dopamine valley. But if we spend time sitting in traffic, thinking about the enjoyable evening that we're going to have when we get home, rather than getting upset about the traffic, well, we'll be on the plus side with dopamine. The more things that we find to be happy about, the happier we'll be. Happiness is something we can teach ourselves. Our brains are wired for it. And whenever a behavior is learned, it can be reprogrammed. As a child, we learn how to handle obstacles. 
We learn our sense of our abilities. We learn our self-worth. Changing those patterns is vital. If someone once told you that you couldn't, go out and prove that you can. Learn to leverage these obstacles. What can I learn from being stopped here? How is this redirecting me in a way that I never would have gone without this obstacle? Be creative. I love the expression, choose your heart. Life presents us with obstacles. It presents us with difficult choices, and we have to choose our heart. Doing a really unpleasant project is hard, but the consequences of avoiding it is hard. Choose your heart. Leaving a bad situation is hard. Staying in it is hard. Choose your heart. Changing an unhealthy habit is hard. Being unhealthy is really, really hard. Choose your heart. I loved our discussion today. The human mind is one of the greatest forces in this world. Our brains drive everything we think and feel and value. And it's a force of nature that we don't often think about or appreciate the value of. I hope you'll play with these concepts a bit and that you'll get around to doing it soon. This has been Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. Thank you for joining me today and every week on Voice America Radio. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Healthy Wealthy You. Have a question but weren't able to get on the show today? Join us next week and call in. Until then, hold that inspiration.